Welcome to Doing CX Right, a podcast where we discuss how to differentiate brands by doing customer experience right. I'm your host, Stacey Sherman, an author, award-winning keynote speaker, and mentor passionate to help you humanize business and improve experiences to achieve real results. Do you want to drive fast, scalable growth? Then you must eliminate what customers hate and make happiness your business strategy. You may be wondering how best to do this. Well, my guest, Nick Webb, tells you exactly how. He's a world-renowned strategist, best-selling author of multiple books, and an inventor with 40 U.S. patents. You're going to hear him explain actionable solutions to maximize customer loyalty while attracting and keeping the best talent to deliver customer excellence. It's all based on a lifetime of study and application in his own practice. You will be wowed by Nick Webb and feel more motivated to drive innovative, positive changes, as that's what he's known for. I have a request. Please subscribe to Doing CX Right on your favorite podcast channel. Tell others and leave me a review. It means so much. Now, let's get started with my show. Hello, Nick Webb. Welcome to the Doing CX Right show. Thank you. I appreciate it. So I have been noticing you a lot online. It's funny how I didn't know you. And then once I found you and discovered you are everywhere, (laughs) now I see you everywhere. And I'm also so fortunate to have your two books. First of all, please tell my audience, who are you? What do you do? So I am the CEO of a company called Leader Logic, and we work with some of the top brands in the world to help them drive sustainable growth. And we do that primarily by creating happy workforces and next generation strategy, and of course, significant improvements in customer experience. Mm, you're speaking my language. Why? Why are you so passionate about this topic? You know, I started my career uh, in actually in healthcare 40 years ago as a medical technologist inventing medical devices. And that's been, you know, 43 patents ago. And I really loved creating technologies. I invented one of the world's smallest microsilicone implants, one of the first wearable technologies. But I was very detached from the customer, the, the, the people that actually saw my work. And to a certain extent, it felt, um, you know, a little compartmentalized. So the the reason I love what I do and the reason I do what I do is I love that direct, especially, you know, I travel to about 70 speaking events worldwide each year. I just love that direct impact that I get to see. It's the artist that gets to see people view his work, I guess, in the art gallery. And that's what I really love. You know, you said detached and it actually makes a lot of sense because technology does detach us from the human element. So I think that the the game changer is balancing both. Do you agree? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think that we can leverage technology for good or evil, right? And, you know, we're seeing how the, the bad side of technology and, you know, phenomenons like, uh, you know, the uh, Instagram dysphoria uh, syndrome and so on. Uh, I think that when you use it with the idea of humanity in mind, technology is a beautiful thing. And I think that organizations certainly have the ability to do that. Mm. What's one fun fact that people might not know about you? <laughs> well, I took a stab for some unbeknownst reason uh, 
starting three years ago now, to be a documentary filmmaker. I have no qualifications mm -hmm. whatsoever. I had no idea what I was doing. But I really wanted to do a documentary film with the idea of really changing the conversation about healthcare. And I was lucky enough to partner with a very successful physician and uh, health system owner, Dr. Ray Power in Dublin, Ireland. And so together over a period of three years, we pooled our resources and we actually launched the film this last summer at the Sedona Film Festival and we won the uh, Audience Choice Award. So I, I get to add uh, award-winning documentary filmmaker to my resume. It was really fun. That's amazing. And I think it's going to give people who are listening hope and and confidence, maybe that they never had because you said you kind of fell into this, you hadn't come from that background. And what a milestone that people are starting to see in the post-pandemic world that they can do anything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, uh, you know, doing stuff that you're not qualified for is something you should do all the time, right? <laughs> I tell my son, apply for jobs that you are absolutely not qualified for because eventually, I can remember my first executive job and them closing the door in my corner office and I'm thinking, I have no idea what I'm doing here. I don't even know where the knobs and buttons are. <laughs> and in a matter of a few months, you know, I nailed it. And and so um, that's the, I think that's mm -hmm. the evolutionary process that that we go through. There's a saying, fake it till you make it. And I think in your right. 20s, you really do that. Maybe yeah, even beyond. Sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about customer experience. First of all, everyone has a different view what that means. What is that to you? Well, first of all, I think most people need to realize that customer experience is an innovation activity. If you look at the definition of innovation, the definition of innovation is the process of creating novel value that serves your organization and your customer. And when you look at the definition of customer experience, it's the process of creating novel value that serves your organization and your customer. The definition is no different. It's how we create newness in the way in which we deliver experiences to humans. But in researching my upcoming book, What Customers Hate, I begin to realize that there is another hemisphere of customer experience that most people really miss. In fact, I don't even use the term customer experience. There it is. <laughs> I don't even use the term customer experience anymore. I use the term human experience because if you're not creating beautiful experiences for the employees that come and serve your mission every day, there is no way in the world they are going to be able to serve the amazing customers that serve you and honor you every day. And, you know, just go to a restaurant or go to a hotel where the people hate their job and you can see the impossibility of delivering exquisite experiences with people who have not been loved and respected. But it even goes beyond that because I talk about stakeholders or what I refer to as the vested ecosystem. You need to develop the philosophical, the religious belief that everybody should be treated with love and respect. And that includes your vendors, your partners, your boards of trustees, and all of your customers, no matter who they are. And I think when you get to that point, you've reached sort of the, I really think the zenith of where we want to go as experts in customer experience. It's an innovation activity that serves everyone. Hmm, that's a great answer. I've I've heard many and that's that resonates a lot. I love it. Now, is happiness a business strategy? 
as it ties to customer satisfaction? I mean, is that, would you call that a, a strategy? So everything that we do in organizations is people-powered, with no exception. Everything is people-powered, from the way in which we think to the way in which we deliver value across our organization. So if it's people-powered, then it's pretty easy to suggest that taking care of those people are critical. You know, there is unemployed people and there are talented people, but there are no unemployed, talented people. In fact, they say now that the biggest drought the biggest pandemic that we'll face is the talent drought. There's roughly 9 million people looking for work, and some suggest there's as much as 16, 17, 18 million jobs. So organizations in 2022 and beyond really need to focus on being able to attract, keep, motivate, and inspire the people that come to work every day. If they don't make that an organizational priority, then they won't be able to serve their organization's mission. So happiness is absolutely, in fact, I have a new report out that talks about the three big moves for 2022 and beyond. And one of those three big moves is the way in which the best organizations are moving towards happiness as a strategy. They're baking this into their enterprise strategy. And I think it's beautiful. Wow. It is very promising. This world is absolutely, if they, if everybody is really starting to inherit this belief and intentional about it, the world really can be a better place. And when I talk to people like you and others, like it's really believable, like it's possible in our lifetime and our kids' lifetime to be better than what we grew up with. Right. I mean, I was trained as a young lad by my dad to work hard, go to school, uh, get a job and spend the rest of my life trading my time, in other words, my life, for cash, right? We were taught to trade our life for cash. And mm. luckily, the smart next generation has realized that it's not really about trading your life for cash. It should be about trading your life for three things. One, the ability to participate in a mission that matters, a mission that's worthy of us. Number two, that mission should always be in our own evolution, should be making us better. And then lastly, there is no mission that's worth anything if it isn't in the service to others. And the best organizations are doing missions that matter. They're helping their stakeholders evolve in their own life journey in the process of delivering beautiful experiences and value to their customers. And that's the organizations that are winning. Mm. I also observe that people want to matter. And so it's the smart leaders who actually help their individual, their teams, their colleagues, their customers. If they're making them feel like they matter, everything else turns out okay. And it's that simple, but yet seems so complicated to implement. Well, and you have to prove it. You don't, you, you know, most organizations check a box and say, you all matter, you know, we love you and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, at the end of the day, stakeholders want proof. So how do you prove that somebody matters? You do that by giving them a voice. You do that by creating surgical linkage between their work and their contribution to this important mission. When you do that through listening sessions and through personal growth planning with each individual stakeholder, the, the results are incredible. Personal growth planning. 
oh my gosh, can we just pause for a second? Because that does not happen enough. And, And now with the great resignation happening, to me, that plus the exit interviews that many people are leaving. So what great feedback to make it better. Those two things are best practices, but yet so minimal. What's your view on that? Well, I think that, you know, and I do this for a living and we've seen it go down in many, we've been in very sick organizations. And the problem is uh, a sick organization tries to communicate the importance of profitability. They try to communicate the importance of everything other than the individuals. And that's really a big mistake. So to do this right, you really have to build out a thoughtful, what we call a happiness as a strategy, H-A-A-S. And this is a strategy that's hardwired into your enterprise DNA with the, with the goal of communicating regularly the linkage between the organization's mission and the way in which it impacts customers. But it also has to communicate the way in which it impacts the stakeholder. And, and the way that we, the thing that we like to do is build personal growth plans. So like we do that by sitting down with employees and say, you know, what's meaning to you? Who are you? How can, you know, how can we make this journey beautiful? You know, we talk about eth- we would talk about diversity and we talk about inclusion. Well, you really can't get there until you not, it's not about enduring people's differences. It's about loving and respecting and leaning into their beautiful differences that the best organizations do. So there is ways to do all of this, listening sessions, ESNs, um, all kinds of great approaches that we have in our practice. And we find that when when done holistically, like I won't even take on a customer experience project anymore just because we're so busy unless I get to also fix the employees. I can fix their customer experience in an amazing way, but only if I have the ability to also help them serve the beautiful people that come in every day and serve their mission. If they give me the ability to do that, the impact on the customer experience is transformative. So you're talking about company culture. You're talking about employee engagement. What are some of the things you would do or people listening, what can they do? And obviously there's in-person and remote. Right. So, you know, in, in, in my book, What Customers Hate, I talk about hate points versus love points. So the first thing you really need to do, and you do this through individual interviews, you do this through listening sessions, you do this through collaborative ideation by building out challenges. I mean, you know, the first thing we do is we use an internal social network and we create their first challenge. You know, uh, let's get better. Or how do we make life better challenge? And those challenges allow everybody to talk about, well, you know, it'd be a lot better if we X, Y, and Z. It's amazing what, you know, one of the things I've learned, I've, I've been very, 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 very happily married for 30 years. And I think the secret was early on in my life, just through stupidicity, I realized that when my wife said the trash was full, what she was really saying is, take out the trash. When my wife said it was cold, it, mean, it meant turn up the heater. It's that second level thoughtful listening, right, that makes a very big difference. And if you're willing to be engaged and present enough to listen to the people you love and care for, then it really gives you the insights you need to be able to make their life beautiful. And there's nothing more gratifying in life than to be able to impact other people positively. So there's a a great deal of really practical tools around understanding what they hate. You know, in fact, the whole premise of my upcoming book, What Customers Hate, 
is kind of a, a fun follow-up for my, you know, number one best-selling book, What Customers Love or, or, or Crave. And, and what it really talks about is the fact that we have to start by eliminating things people hate first. That's a good lesson for customer experience. We focus on optimal customer experience. Meanwhile, we haven't really eliminated the hate points. So if we can do that with our stakeholders, it's amazing. And, and if you give them the opportunity and you make the changes that they're suggesting and you prove you're listening, it is incredible how that results in cultural transformation. Cultural transformation isn't a thing you do. It's a symptom of a thing you do, right? A lot of people think it's a thing you do and it isn't. It's a symptom. It's a condition that occurs when you love, respect, and care for the people that serve your mission. That is worth replaying because <laughs> that is, <laughs> it is so good. Those words are so eloquently said and really make sense. What is the best leadership advice that you've received and that you also tell others? You know, I remember early on in my young, naive career working for a gentleman who was an ex-Scotland Yard detective. He was like 10 feet tall, just this incredibly intimidating guy. And I was a young executive. And I remember complaining to him about how bad the market was and why we weren't hitting our revenue numbers and so on. And I remember him uh, sitting back with a smile and asking me a simple question. Are you out of control? And I, that was a weird question. I didn't know how to answer it. The, the bottom line, the point he was trying to make is that everything I complained about was within my control. I think it's really easy to get in a managerial or leadership habit of thinking that conditions are the things that control us. But the truth of the matter is, conditions are not that interesting, uh, certainly not as interesting as the way in which we respond to them. So really asking ourselves, you know, are the current conditions something that we have control over? I think we do a lot more than we realize. I agree on that. Now, with technology, going back to the beginning, You've got technology and you've got the human side. What is your advice to companies that are really focusing on technology more and not because they don't know the ROI of customer experience and employee experience and culture? That's, that's harder to measure. We're figuring it out. But what's your view on that to get people to invest more in the 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 technology in addition to the human factors? Well, I think the first thing you have to do is you have to do a incentive check, right? Is the use of the technology there specifically to be able to deliver exceptional value to the customer? If it's not, then you need to question it. If it's required to increase efficiency to maintain costs, that's fine. I'll give you an example. In my book, I talk about the five touch points. I talk about the pre-touch moment, the first touch, the core touch, the last touch, and the in-touch moment. If you take a look at the first touch moment, that's the research moment where somebody's wanting to learn about our products or services or, uh, or what we, or maybe even where we're located. There are three things we have to be. We have to be, we have to show up, meaning that we have to show up on search. Number two is we have to be incredibly relevant. 
And number three is we have to be valuable. A website, for an example, should be nothing more than a value dispenser. It's not a resume suspended in digital outer space. It is a value dispenser. Everything about that digital property should be a value dispenser. The other thing that we're doing, and we do it a lot in pharma, we do it in the medical device space, we do it in hospitality, we do it just about everywhere else, is we need to create digital sidecars. In other words, digital blended experiences that are not there to sell or tell or do anything other than to provide a supportive, as my daughter would say, delicious experience for our customers. So if we use technology, we have to use it for good instead of evil. Most people don't do that. Apple, I have 30 Apple devices in my office. They have my email a thousand times in their database, but they have the intelligence and the discipline not to spam me with BS offers all the time. That is a sign of incredible digital discipline. Do you have digital discipline to use digital technologies for good instead of evil? That would be my advice to people that are looking at how they champion their technology initiatives. I'm writing that down. Digital discipline. That makes a lot of sense as well. Your book about heyday, how to make every day the best day of your life. Is that more of about an employee experience? Is that a self-help type of book? Who, tell me about that. So I wrote Heyday as a love letter, right? I, uh, all of the proceeds for, uh, for Heyday go back into buying more Heyday books because uh, most of them are just given out. Um, I wanted, uh, yeah, there it is. How to make every day the best day of your life. You'll find, you'll see that it's not available commercially for sale. It's the only book I've ever written that isn't. It's available for sharing. And the idea of that book was to really let people know that if they could focus on those heyday principles, that they could have an incredibly better impact for their family, for the people they care about. They have the ability to live a beautiful, peaceful existence just by following some very, very simple lessons that I learned from Native American chiefs, from uh, Sherpas, from uh, just the most amazing teachers that have fallen in my pathway over the last 40 years. And that's really what that book's about. Now, I do have a book on uh, enterprise uh, happiness that'll be out in February called Happy Work. And my guess is that'll probably be available in uh, bookstores worldwide somewhere in February, March, right about the time that my book, uh, What Customers Hate, comes out. Hmm. Happy Work. Now, right now, we're, we're dealing with more anxiety in the world than ever and loneliness and confusion and opportunity. I think that this great resignation is also causing people to reevaluate having been home for a long time. So this is definitely needed more than ever, happy, but how is it going to resonate with people? Like, because it, it's, it seems like a far stretch right now is it or maybe not? Yeah, it's really not. I mean, I think that you have to look at it is that sadness and discord uh, and grief can be habitual. So you have to be really careful to break a habitual cycle. And I think a lot of organizations, you know, they have remote teams and we have a, a certification training program for remote leaders where if you do sprints, you know, if you do the things that are the best practice to provide employees compartmentalization at work and to give them 
you know, the right guidance, they can have a, a happy stay. I think that a lot more people will be going back to a physical space than most people are suggesting. People want to collaborate. There's been several good studies to show that when organizations go remote and start being dif diffused, their innovation is diffused and their ability to serve a common mission actually is adversely impact when people aren't physically together. And not only that, a lot of people, they're kind of over it, right? Um, you know, it's not for everybody. But I think right now we will see a, a renaissance of happiness. We'll see a new level of enthusiasm. We'll see the opportunities that lay before us. It's not going to happen overnight, but I, I'm quite certain that as we transition through uh, 2022, we're going to see a lot more people that are willing to talk about what's right and what's good and what's happening and the next project and not just getting into that habitual cycle of what's wrong. I think also there's the opportunity for managers and leaders to ask their people more often, are you okay? And make right. it psychologically safe to have those conversations. Yeah, that's a good point. Absolutely right. Yeah. I think we're seeing a lot more personal dialogue where we're able to talk about, you know, conversations around happiness and quality of work life. And, and, uh, and I think that's a beautiful thing. I think, I think the relationship between employees and their job have really changed in a very, very demonstrative way. And I think that ultimately that's a good thing, not for legacy organizations that believe in an authoritarian model of leadership, but for organizations that realize that their best asset truly is their people asset. Those organizations really today have the opportunity to attract and keep amazing people that really want to believe in a mission right now. Mm. I keep reading that people leave bosses, not companies. <laughs> What's your view on the, that statement and that research? I think that's more often uh, true than leaving the organization, although bosses are a manifestation. They are a creature of an enterprise, right? Great organizations typically do not provide the uh, warm, comfortable space for bad people to stay. Um, and that's why, you know, when people, you know, right now, 98% of employees are going to double check and do a background search on a prospective job using Glassdoor. So um, they care about the culture. But remember, the boss is a symptom of a crappy culture. It's really not the other way around. So I, I think that there, it's easy to say that's correct, but the truth of the matter is that boss is a creature of a bad culture. So then how do you stop that cycle? Well, you know, what I have found, because I happen to do this work, it's messy, it's uh, dramatic, and uh, sometimes it can be tragic. But when we come in and we start talking about humanity, and we start talking about the uniqueness of people, and start talking about caring and the rules of engagement, bad people don't like that kind of a culture. So we've seen, you know, bad people leave and good people come in. The only way you can really have a good culture is you is you look at In-N-Out Burger. You know, why is it that In-N-Out Burger has the greatest people on the planet? Uh, they're making, I mean, you, we think of McDonald's as the worst possible job. And yet uh, the people that work at In-N-Out Burger are doing the same work and they're smiling, they're busy, they're happy, they're productive. And, and the answer is, is that they really do love and respect people. They do have success plans for them. If you work at In-N-Out Burger, you have a chance to make, you know, $150,000, $160,000 a year as a store manager. Uh, they do have pathways to success. 
they have a mission that they really believe in that is ethical and thoughtful and customer centric. And because of that, you know, people really want to work there. Uh, Sub-Zero is very much the same way. I mean, uh, the, the refrigerator, the Sub-Zero Wolf Company, one of the most amazing companies on the planet. Uh, look at Uline. Uline, you know, sells boxes. I mean, how could Uline be good? They're, they're, they're transactionalists, yet people love them because they believe in serving people. So, again, I, I think that uh, cultures are the, the secret weapon. It shocks me how few books on customer experience and how many, how few of so-called customer experience gurus address the systemic issue of vested ecosystems, but few really do. They, they look at it as be less bad, and that doesn't really get us very far in a time of hyper-competition. Be less bad. <laughs> it's almost funny. If I had dozens of CEOs, managers, leaders in my room right now, what's the one thing you want them to know, the takeaway? Well, I just did a bunch of research in, in, uh, in these two books that, I, that uh, will be out in spring. And I can tell you that there really isn't one thing, but there are three big moves that every CEO needs to make right now. These are not optional. These are mandatory. And the three big moves is they need to, one, go beyond outdated CX methods and really look at it for what it is. It is an innovation activity. They cannot operate at the baseline level of expectation. They can't use their old survey methodologies. They can't use much of anything that they've done historically in their customer experience initiative. So number one, revisit customer experience because you're in for some crazy competition 2022 and beyond. Number two, build happiness as a strategy. Make enterprise happiness an enterprise priority. You'll drive more innovation. You'll significantly reduce the cost of finding, keeping, and motivating people. You'll significantly improve profitability, return on assets, and everything else that you want. And then lastly, make innovation part of your enterprise DNA. Not just bright, shiny objects, but the way in which we use innovation to reduce costs and to drive superstar organizations. In 2022, leaders need to batten down the hatches and get ready for a turbid flight. And the only way we can do that is with those three big moves. And in fact, I have a PDF that is downloadable on my website that people can, can read the white paper on that. And I also have a happiness white paper, which kind of gives them the how to fly manual. Wonderful. I will add that to the show notes. My final question, if you could go back in time and talk to a 20-year-old Nick Webb, based on what you know now that you didn't know then, what would you say? I, you know, I was told I was an idiot by one of my teachers <laughs> in high school. And, uh, and for some reason that resonated with me. And I have spent my entire life writing books and giving speeches to try to convince Mr. Carmine that I wasn't an idiot. I wish I could have just said, Nick, you don't need to do that. <laughs> I would be a lot less exhausted right now. Uh, so, you know, uh, live your own, you know, live your own passion and goals. Don't try to prove anybody wrong. And that, uh, as weird as that advice is, that's, that would be what I would give my, my younger self. I have to add to that because, first of all, words really matter, obviously. And yeah. I had a family member who shall be nameless at this moment, used to play Jim Rummy with me when I was a little kid over and over and over again. And 
I'd always lose because this person was an expert. So here I am, a young kid, and I kept being told with the finger pointing, you're a loser. Oh. So I relate to your story to prove yeah. to myself I'm not a loser <laughs> in any right. sense of the word. <laughs> it's yeah. funny. So words matter. And for all the adults out there who are models for kids and younger generations, just be careful what you say. It leaves an imprint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely right. Well, I am so grateful to have you today. Where can people find you? And again, I'll add it to the show notes. Sure. Well, you know, I still have a very, very busy speaking practice. I, I speak about five or six times a month around the world. Uh, for speaking engagements, it's simply nickweb.com. For management consulting services across all the work we do and, and certified training, it's goleaderlogic.com. And again, if you go to that website, there really is two great, I put a lot of love into those. I have a downloadable PDF on how to make uh, happiness part of your culture. And the other one is on the three big moves for leaders for 2022 and beyond. My book, What Customers Hate, and my book, uh, Happy Work, uh, will be in bookstores worldwide this spring. I look forward to reading them and sharing you with everyone I can. And thank you for all the goodness that you're doing now and next year and beyond. Thanks, Stacey. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining today. I hope you will apply the lessons shared and also requesting if you would leave a review on Apple, it would mean a lot. Head over to doingcxright.com to learn more ways to connect with me and improve your CX. Until next time, I'm Stacey Sherman, Doing CX Right.